I have an update on when it's going to quit raining, so I'm just going to speak until it quits raining. So if you think I'm going long, I'm just saving you from getting wet, amen? The ladies are saying, don't worry, I'm not going to get wet anyway. I'm going to send my husband to get the car, right? Come on, we have some gentlemen in here, right? Well, yeah, last, last, or sorry, next week, Pastor Joseph will be here. He's actually going to be in town for about three weeks, and I'm going to take him to some other churches to talk to people, and, and um, also Ms. Ms. Yvette, Yvette, Yvette Pearson, um, who sings up here with us, her brother's coming into town, and they, they travel around and, and do music ministry, so they're going to do a special next week as well, and Pastor Joseph will be here, and uh, I'm telling you, I... One of, the, one of the things that I'm so thankful for is that I get to, you know, go around and see our missionaries in their, you know, in their environment, and uh, it really makes me much more grateful for what I have. I mean, there, you do realize that there are, there are churches all around the world where they're persecuted, uh, there are churches where they're sitting on a dirt floor with goats running through. Believe me, that caught me a little bit off guard one time in Africa, but it happened, okay? And uh, it's just normal, normal stuff, and man, sometimes we just get too comfortable, and I know with me, sometimes I want God to make me uncomfortable. Make me uncomfortable. Okay, two, thank you, Jeff. Jeff agrees with me. No, everyone else wants comfort, okay? Next week, we'll have some recliners for you, okay? Yeah. And uh, I actually had a, my, my brother, his church, moved into a movie theater one time, and I was like, hey, how's it going? He's like, it's terrible. Everyone falls asleep, man. Uh, the worship's okay, but uh, anyway. So he'll be here next week. So normally we take up our missions offering on the first Sunday of the month, but we will take it up next week when he's here. So, uh, man, I'm telling you, bring your friends. You know, some people that uh, aren't, haven't given their lives to the Lord. Next week would be a great, a great time uh, for them to come. And so we're continuing this morning with a series I started several weeks ago called The Boundary Stones of our faith. And basically what we're talking about in this series is we've been discussing how God has given us some spiritual boundary stones to guide our lives and how they act as markers to keep us where we need to go. How many of you know in life uh, the, the road is, is broad, but really where we need to go is a little bit more narrow? It's a little bit narrow. And, and so the God's boundary stones they mark where we need to go, and as and if we can stay in the markers, if we can if we can pay attention to the boundary stones and not try to move them. See, we've gotten really we've gotten really bad the last few generations. Uh, people are moving boundary stones to wherever they want them to be because it makes us feel more comfortable. Even in the church today, I'm telling you, there's many churches that have moved boundary stones that God put there. And how many know that when God puts us a boundary stone there? Uh, you and I, that's above our pay grade, right? We don't have the authority or the ability uh, to move those. So we've been talking about these, and here's the whole thing. This is more of a teaching series than a, than a preaching uh, series because really these boundary stones, a lot of times you would call them the, the doctrine of our faith. They're, they're the essential things that, that we have to understand. And, and, and for us to be successful in our Christian lives, we have to follow God's boundary stones. Uh, for our lives, the markers that God, you know, has, has put into our lives. It's, it's really interesting. Churches changed so much in the last, you know, last many years. But, uh, you know, in the early church, if you go back and read some historical documents, like to join the early church, like you're reading about Book of Acts, 
you had, to, you had to get in front of the church and you had to recite church doctrine so that the church actually knew what you were committing to. I mean, today it's like, please come, please come. Can I park your car for you? You know, you want a cup of coffee? You know? But I, but I mean, but how many of you know that when, when we understand how deep God's love is for us, when we understand how He put things in there for us, it really helps us on our part to follow him uh, more closely. It makes things a lot more easier. So uh, the, week, the first one week we talked about the boundary stone of God's word. And, and you can go back and listen to these. I, I believe that I gave a, a convincing uh, message about five verifiable scientific, scientific uh, evidence of why the Bible should be taken as the literal word of God. And... and I, I spent a, t- a lot of time on that because if God's word is true, if it's verifiable scientifically, if there's things that we can say, man, all this stuff is lining up to, to, make, to give it verifiable proof. If the Bible is true, uh, that's the first boundary stone because the Bible contains all the boundary stones we need for life. And the problem today is a lot of people are saying, well, some of the Bible is true, but it's not all true. That, that gives us leeway to, to, to make th- boundary stones where we want them to. And so I even said something, either the Bible is all true or it's not none true. I mean, Paul, Paul, said, Paul said, hey, you know, if, if, if the word of God is not true, then we're still dead in our sins. We're wasting our time here. And so something to consider. Today I'm going to talk about a kind of, I think, an interesting thing. Uh, there will be some big words, but I'll make them simple. Is, is what is God like? What, what is God like? I think before you can truly follow God, it certainly helps. It certainly helps if you know what is God like? What, what is his nature? What is his character? Uh, how can I understand him better? And I mean, you know, all of you that are married here today, you took time to get to know the person that you're marrying. I see some of you looking like, I was tricked. I was tricked, I'm telling you. There's a personality change when we got married. Well, that, that's a whole different subject, okay? It's a whole different subject. But you, you got to know what the person was like in, in various settings to, to see if it's someone you'd want to spend your life with. And I'm worried that we have people that are committing to God, but they don't really know what God's like. And if you don't know what God's like, you'll feel condemned when you do bad, and maybe you'll feel more prideful when you do good. And I think it just really The more we understand God, the more the easier it is to pray, the easier it is to, to read our Bible. So, so let's look at this for a minute. What is God like? And there's a lot of confusion in the world today about the nature and character of God. And this is a common question I get all over town when I go places uh, is, is that um, when, when people go to study about God and about, and about religion and different things, um, they say this, you know, Terry, there's so many world religions out there Basically, are, are all the religions worshiping the same God? That's a good question, and you should be able to answer that question. And the answer to that is no, that all the world religions do not worship the God that, that we worship. The answer is no. And so what I'm saying is that the God that's revealed in our Bible is it, not, not Allah, the God of, of the Muslim faith. Uh, it's, he's not one of the many gods of the Hindu faith. He's not the God that the, that the Mormons worship or the Jehovah's Witness worship, and he certainly is not the God of the New Age movement. And so 
Um, we, we have to totally understand that because a lot of, what a lot of people think is, and what a lot of the religions of the world say is that all religions are a lamp to God. In other words, that all these different religions, uh, the Muslim faith, the Hindu faith, the New Age movement, what a lot of people say is that those, those all lead to the same place. And what I'm saying is that is, that is, that is false. That is not true. The God we worship he, he's not, when, when you learn his nature and character, it's not the God that's portrayed by many of the other world religions. So the Bible gives clear insight into God's nature and character, and it's, it's distinctly different from, from all the other world religions. And, and so this morning I want to talk about some of the distinguishing features in uh, the nature and character of God, and what we're going to learn is that the God we serve, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, is he is entirely unique in reference to all the other world religions. He's totally distinct. He's totally unique. And, and, and he's, not at, he's, he's not the God that's advertised. Somebody. So let's go through these. And the first thing we have to learn about God is when you think about God is that God is eternal. Sometimes we use the word self-existent, which means this, that, that God has no beginning, that God has no, he has no beginning, he has no end. And so, see, now I'm going to read scriptures today. The reason it's so important for me uh, to lay out the reason why I think the Bible is, is God's word to us. It's a blueprint for life. It has no error because now we're going to read scriptures about the nature and character of God. And we had to first make sure that, that the Bible is true, that the Bible is accurate. So Psalms 90, verse 1 through 2. Um, and, and as we go through today, some of the scriptures I'll, I'll probably give a couple scriptures that aren't on your notes because I added some this morning. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So what's Moses saying? From before we knew time as it is today, you're from everlasting to everlasting. And so one of the, one of the, one of the questions, we have to understand, you know, the Bible says that God's ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, and we have a limited capacity to think. We have to understand that. So some of the, some of the Bible, some of the things we talk about, they're, they're, they're partial mystery. And again, let me just help you out. I have people tell me, when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to ask God is this. And I, ha- I, qu- I have to say, I help, help them. You're not going to ask God anything. Because you're going to... What, what does the Bible say? The Bible say that mortality, these bodies, these minds, are, are going to be replaced with immortality. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have knowledge when we get to heaven. I mean, God's not going to spend eternity answering all of our questions. He's just going to give it to us, okay? If that helps you out a little bit. But, but one of the things we struggle with is, is how could God have always existed? I mean, that, that's a question that we just have a hard time getting a hold of. How could God have always existed? And, and uh, you know, here's what you have to understand, is that our world, God created our world with time and space. In, every, in our world, there's always a beginning of something, and there's always an end to something. There's it's time and space. There's a beginning time, there's an ending time. That's just how God created our world. You know, the, although God created our world and is involved in our world, he's involved in our lives, He's not confined or limited by our world. So 
the question was, the bigger question is, um, where was God before he created our world? And the question is, God is in the same place he has always been. If you look at, this is our, if you think about this timeline that I'm holding up, this is our world. It had, had a beginning. Everyone verifies there was a beginning. And one day the Bible says there will be an end, and maybe we're somewhere along in here. But, but God is up here uh, in, a, in an unending continuum. And so God exists in the eternal realm. He has always been. He, will all, he always will be. He has no beginning. He has no end. So that's the first thing to, to think about is that when you read about our God, when you, when you think about our God, is that our God has always been. He, he, he's, he's in the eternal realm. He's always been. And you may not can comprehend that, but that's, that's the answer. The second thing is that, is that God is omnipotent. And that word omnipotent, it just means all-powerful. So just say all-powerful. All the, the prefix omni means all, and uh, potent means powerful, so God is all-powerful. And uh, so let, let, me, let me just talk to you for a minute. Why am I telling you this? Um, it's not so you can learn the word, the word omnipotent. That's, that's not, that's not the, the point. The point is this. If you really come to understand that the nature and character of our God, one of his attributes is that he's all-powerful, it will change the way you view your life. It will change the way you read your Bible. It will change your faith. I talk to Christians all the time, and all they're focused on is a problem they have. You can focus on your problem, or you can focus on God who has no problems. The God that created our world, created everything in our world, and he can do anything. He's all-powerful. So when you think about that, again, you have to know, why would we serve a God who is limited in power? Why would we ever serve a God who loves some people more than others? God doesn't. God's love for his people are the same. And, and he's all-powerful. He can do anything. Revelation 19.6 says this, I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord, Almighty, Lord God Almighty reigns. Isaiah 43, 13, Even from eternity I am He, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. And look, this is a statement. I act, and who can reverse it? <coughs> Excuse me. So that, that's the God we, we serve. God is He's the creator and sustainer of all things. And see, again, Sometimes human beings, we think that we're, you hear the term creative? Oh, he's real creative. Well, no, he's using a computer software. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you working with me here? And, uh, but, but see, we don't create anything. We build stuff from something that already exists. To create means that you make something out of nothing. Okay, see, Hebrews 11.3, this one's not in your notes, but you can write it down. Hebrews 11.3, it says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So, you see, if we want to build something, we go to the lumber store and we buy some wood. If God wants to build something, he, he grows a tree. There's a big difference there. God creates things, and so it says that, you know, he created our world out of nothing, out of, his, out of his mouth. He breathed, and there was shrubs, and there was water, and there was land, and there were animal, 
He spoke it. He made things out of nothing. And so God is eternal and God is all-powerful. The third thing that's very important is that God is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. It says, Psalms 139, 1-4 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Now, if you start thinking about this for a little bit, you start thinking about that you can't hide from God. Some people think, well, I come to church and I'm with God, then I go do my own thing. No, he, he's, when you sit down, when you, when you get up, he's with you all the time, and uh, he perceives my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my, and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. That ought to make us think about our ways. He's familiar with all of our ways. He, he knows our thoughts. He knows our actions. He knows what he's all, he's all knowing. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. That's how come sometimes before we say those words, we get the little filter, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, saying no. No, you, you, you may wreck a relationship. You may lose a job. You may lose a friend. See, he, he knows what's going on. And so a better way, so think about, <clears throat> now this is different from us because we, we are always trying to figure things out. Please tell me I'm not the only one that tried to figure something out this week, right? You know, we're trying to figure things out. But think about this. What I'm saying is, is that nothing has ever occurred to God. You know how you're going through and you're like, man, I wish, oh man, I wish I'd have done that differently. Nothing has ever occurred to God. He knows everything and he knows everything at the same time. So again, how does this help me in my daily Christian life? Because a lot of you are looking for answers in your life. And God knows all the answers. Some of you are looking for, you're looking for wisdom and guidance. Man, should I quit this job or should I get another job? Should I put my kids here or should I put my kids there? You know, you're, we're looking for answers. And all we have to do is connect with our God because he knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going through. He knows where we need to be. And he can help us get from point A to point B much better than we can do on our own, and just another practical thing, I think, is this, is that, you know, sometimes people tell me, I have a hard time praying because I don't know what to say. And I say, well, God already knows what you're thinking, so just talk to him from there. Just start with God, this is how I'm feeling. He knows it already, but sometimes he wants us to verbalize that. And so, it doesn't, doesn't it help you to connect with God? Okay, let's say you're, gonna, you're trying to connect with a person but neither one of you know each other, and you don't, you don't know what he or she's thinking. She doesn't know, she or he doesn't know what you're thinking, and so you're trying to take time to connect. When we go to God in prayer, he's already connected. He's already connected. He just wants us to be vulnerable to him. So I think when we start knowing these things, it helps us in our relationship with God. It helps us in our prayer, prayers to him. It helps us in reading our word. The, the next thing is that God is everywhere. He's, he's omnipresent. And so, again, God is not limited by time and space. He is everywhere at all times. Jeremiah 23, 24, it says, can, any, can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. How many times in, in, the, in the Psalms did David say, oh God, how long are the wicked going to prosper? 
You know, it, I think that's funny because David's being vulnerable, but God already knows who's wicked and who's not, right? His eyes are on both of them. And, and there's a time frame involved there. And I think, I think that's just a vulnerability David in his own capacity couldn't understand how God could prosper somebody that was so wicked. Have you ever thought that before? God, when are they going to be shown out? They're frauds. When are they going to be? But, but the thing is, they haven't tricked God. You know, he, his eyes are on the wicked and the good. One more, Psalms 139, 7-10. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, if I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. So these above attributes, they clearly define what God is like, and there's more. We, I, I just try to hit the big ones. Um, it, it separates him from the other world religions, but it helps us to know that our God is not coming to being with enlightenment. He has not arrived at some point in time. He is not one of the many gods that other, other religions serve uh, in the world today. He's the one and only God who has existed, uh, who has always existed, and through whom, him everything in the world came into his command. But I'm gonna, I'm, now I'm going to take you on a di little different journey. And, but if we only understand these attributes of God, if we only understand, okay, he's been, he's been here forever, he's self-existent, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, He's everywhere. If we understand these, um, there would still be a lack of understanding about God. Uh, in, his very, in his very being, God has always existed in more than one person. In fact, God exists in three persons, yet he is one God. So I want to talk to you for a minute about the mystery of the Trinity. These, these are one of the mysteries of the Bible that, again, our mind may have trouble, trouble getting a, a grasp on sometimes, but it's one of it's one of the sincere doctrines of the faith, and and the the doctrine of the Trinity that that there's there's three in one God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit three in one uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is the defining nature of God that separates Christian from all other religions and so uh, several years ago maybe three or four years ago now we we did I did a series on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, talking about all the world religions, and the name of the series was Jesus in a World Full of Gods. And, and here, here's what, I mean, we studied everything. We, we, studied, we studied Islam, we studied uh, Hinduism, we studied New Age, we studied Jehovah's Witness, we, 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 we went through all of them. And you know the one thing that became so clear to me the one thing that separates Christianity from all other world religions is that Christianity is the only religion that's Trinitarian, that believes in the Trinity. All the other monotheistic faiths, Islam, you know, um, Judaism, you go through all the other monotheisms, the, the religions that believe in one God, and they will believe that God is God, but they don't believe Jesus is God, and they don't believe the Holy Spirit is God. They believe and that, that's called Unitarianism. When you believe in one God and Christianity, we're Trinitarian. That there's three in one. It's very, very important. And uh, so when we talk about, when we talk about, when we talked about earlier, uh, 
the doctrine of the Trinity in connection with, with, with God's a- attributes. So when we think that God is eternal, that God is omnipotent, that he's omnipresent, that he's omniscient, that he, he basically is all-knowing, he's everywhere. Uh, when you think about the four attributes we talked about earlier, what the, Trin- what, what, what the Trinity says is this, the doctrine of the Trinity says that Jesus is all those, and so is the Holy Spirit. So it, it's, it's, three, it's three in one. So the, the biblical teaching of the Trinity tells us that all of God's attributes are true for each is fully God. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are also eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. So this was, if you go back to the early church, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity was the defining doctrine uh, of the early church when Jesus went back to heaven and and the disciples were starting the church. So many different sects of Christianity started branching off, and you can read about those in history. But one of the defining, defining things was they were saying that God is God, but Jesus wasn't God and the Holy Spirit wasn't God. And that was, that was one of the things that the church was really struggling with. So there was the Council of Nicaea in 325 to counter Arianism, the teaching that argued that Jesus Christ wasn't actually God. So let's look, let's look at a, a statement of the Trinity. Let's define the Trinity uh, a good definition of the Trinity just simply says this, that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 6, it says this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now let's look at 1 Peter 1, 2. It says this, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood. So we, we, we see that there's a distinction. God the Father, God the, God the Holy Spirit, and, and God the Son, Jesus Christ. So... People ask me, well, how did we get the name Trinity? Because the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And, and so, but, but the teaching of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all throughout the Scripture. So the Trinity is just a name we gave it because triune means three in one. So the Trinity just means three in one. So let, let's, look at some, let's look at some statements that summarize this biblical teaching. Just trying to make it as simple as we can. In, in one sense, the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery that we'll never be able to fully understand. However, we can understand much of its truth by summarizing the teaching of the Scripture in three statements. Here's the three statements. First of all, God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. So let's look at this. God, God is three persons. Um, the fact that the fact that God is three persons means that the Father is not the Son. I think I have a diagram. Would you put that diagram up? The Father is not the Son. They are distinct. There's a distinction. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. They're distinct. And it means that the Son is not the Holy Spirit. These distinctions uh, can be seen in a number of different passages. So hopefully that helps you understand something a little bit. But let me, let me, let me under, I need to help you understand something. There's a, there's a word called modelism. And a lot of times 
people use modelism to try to explain the Holy Spirit. And they'll say something like this. You know, a man can be a father, a son, or a husband. Three in one. That, but that's not how the Holy Spirit, that's not how the Trinity works because there's still one person. It, there's one man, and he can have three different roles. Now, let's think about water, H2O. Water can be what? A liquid, a solid, or steam. But it's still water, right? And so, see, the Holy, the Holy Spirit says that God the Father is distinct, God the Son is distinct, God the Holy Spirit is distinct, and they, they come together to form the Godhead uh, that we talked about. So let's look at this. So God, God is three persons, and we're going to see in the Bible how each one of these is referred to as God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, John chapter 1, verse 1. Of course, the, the Word there is referring to Jesus. If you read down, you understand this is talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? It was God. The Word was God. Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. So he's not created. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they, they're all, again, eternal. John 17, 24, Father, I want those who, who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world, again, an eternal reaction. John 2, 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. John 14, uh, 26. As a matter of fact, let's go down to... Now we'll stay with John 14, 26. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So when Jesus went back to heaven, of course, when Jesus was here on earth in a physical body, he, he, he took on human, human form. So uh, he, he was limited by time and space. He could be in one place, one place at one time. After his resurrection, we know that's not true anymore, right? He now has a glorified body, and we see him walking through walls. We see him appearing different places. So when Jesus went back to the Father, the Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit is here with us now, and he's with all of us every part of the day to help us, to guide us. And then um, Matthew 28, 19 says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Again, all these are talking about the distinct uh, doctrine of the, of the Trinity, that God is three persons. But the second point is this, is that each person is fully God. And so, uh, you know, if you read some of these other religions, they believe like the Holy Spirit is, is a force from God, is a wind from God. But the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. Many of many different religions will, will say that Jesus was a prophet, showing, leading people to God. The Bible says that Jesus is God. He is God. A, a, big, a big distinction. So each person is fully God. In addition to the fact that all three persons are distinct, the abundant testimony of Scripture is that each person is fully God. Uh, God the Father is clearly God. This is evident from the very first verse in the Bible, in the beginning God created 
the heaven and the earth. And of course, no one argues the, the, the point. Even all monotheistic faiths believe that God is God. They just don't define, they just don't, they, they don't give deity, God, God status to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. John chapter 1, we'll read it one more time. It clearly affirms the full deity of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that, that life was the light of men. So John says that Jesus was with God and that He was God. Hebrews 1.3, again, uh, talks about Jesus, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So once we understand that God the Father and God the Son to be fully God, then the Trinitarian expression in Matthew 28, 19 makes more sense. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, I've had, I've had people tell me, well, the Bible never claims that the Holy Spirit is God. I'm like, well, sure it does. Where have you read? Sure it does. And they say, well, can you help me with that? I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to you. Uh, one, of the, one of the best ones is in Acts chapter 5. You remember in Acts chapter 5, there's a story of a guy named Ananias and Sapphira, who they sold a plot of land. In that day, people were selling plots of land and giving it all to the church. They didn't have to do that. They wanted to do that. So Ananias and Sapphira, they sold land, and they brought it to the church, but they said this, here is all of the money from the land. And, you know, what, what they, they didn't have to give anything. But they shouldn't, have, they shouldn't have lied. And so this is what Acts 5, 3-4 says. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. Equating Holy, the Holy Spirit is, he is God. So God is three persons. Each person is fully God. But yet the mystery is that there's still there is one God. In Scripture, it's abundantly clear that there is one God, one and only one God, and the three different persons of the Trinity are one not only in purpose and in agreement on what they think, but they are one in essence, uh, one of the essential, one in, in, in essential nature. In other words, God is only one being. There are not three gods. There is only one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. James 2, 19 says, you, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. And so the, the Trinity, let me have the worship team come up. Are you doing okay? Did I communicate this morning? I know this, I know this is a little bit heavy, but here, here's what I, I want to tell you because sometimes people come to me and they say, you know, Terry, my coworker goes to this church. I think there's something funny about it, but I'm not sure. How do I know 
if they're, if they're legitimate about their beliefs. You know, how do you know if they're legitimate Christians? And I always tell them this. Ask them if they believe in the Trinity. Ask them if they, if they believe that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. The three in one. And, and, and there, there, there's equality there. It's something very, very important. One, one more verse. This is not in your notes, but this is a good one. If you go all the way back to creation when God's, when God's creating things, and you get, you get to the, the, the sixth day, and of course he's created everything, and he's fixing to create, he's fixing to create mankind. And I find it very interesting that when God created us, The words he used, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. In our image. Not my image. Our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Let's stand up this morning. Let's worship just for a minute before we, before we dismiss.